Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. Hi, it's Richard here, your faithful announcer. We are so glad you are listening. Casting our podcast on the waters of providence, trusting we encourage growing, biblical, dynamic, soul-satisfying prayer lives which glorify God. From the pen of Martin Lloyd-Jones, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. John Owen adds, I pray God with all my heart that I may be weary of everything else but converse and communion with him. J.C. Riley adds his insight. Never, never may we forget that if we would do good to the world, our first duty is to pray. And now to our fine host, Fred. is quickly falling stars appearing Bethlehem asleep God is born a babe with prophets told and shepherds praise their king as all of heaven sings just a few years pass and God is man makes the blind to see the lame one walks the deaf one hears and those who doubt believe as he sets the captive free and as the children gather closely to his side He wraps them in his arms and whispers words of life. That's what love is. That's what love does. It says I'm here to hold you close, carry you, pick you up. Love is Jesus, born to free us. Heaven's light shining down. Heaven's hands reaching out that we might live. That's what love is. That's what love is. That's what love is. What love is. Christmas lights are glowing, church bells ringing, snow on Christmas Eve. Pastor reads the words to silent night, then his congregation sings. Glory to the newborn King. Just outside those doors, a family poor, starved and all alone, bowed 
their heads and pray for peace on earth, a shelter safe and warm. A place they might call home. An usher says hello and welcomes them in sight. From that moment on, a family finds new life That's what love is, that's what love does It says I'm here to hold you close, carry you, pick you up Love is Jesus, born to free us Heaven's light shining down Heaven's hands reaching out That we might live That's what love is And on that cross he bore my shame Gave his heart and called my name That's what love is that's what love does It says I'm here to hold you close Carry you, pick you up Love is Jesus Born to free us Heaven's light shining down Heaven's hands reaching out That we might live That's what love is that's what love is That's what love is would love it oh. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. My name is Fred, and I am the podcast principal. As you know, that means the host of the podcast. And today we're going back to a layman's look at the whole Bible, and this one is going to be on faith. Now, if you remember the last time I did a layman's commentary on the whole Bible, I mentioned that I wanted to do one more sort of introductory episode before I got to Genesis 1-1. What I meant to say was I wanted to do three. So we introduced last time, we introduced the idea of faith and how important that is in reading your Bible and humility, and how important that is in reading your Bible. And then what I had planned to do and misstated the last time was the introduction, which we did, and then an episode on faith, and then an episode on humility. Now, we will only get this one in before Christmas of this year in, in my culture, so in the next few days, and then we will do the next week after Christmas. And because of that, we are today also prefacing this episode with That's What Love Is by Marvin and Chapman. And then we will end with Mary Did You Know, also by Marvin and Chapman, both of which are on their Christmas EP. 
But it's important, I think, to do, to fill out, if you will, the idea of reading your Bible by faith, with faith, and then also coming at it from an attitude of humility. And that's why I wanted to do this, these two next two episodes, one on faith today, and then one on humility next time. So, that being said, how this is going to lay out is we are going to look at what the Bible says about walking by faith, briefly, commands to walk by faith, and then we are going to look at what Jesus says about the nature of the Old and New Testament, and then we are going to look at what Jesus says about the import of the Old and New Testament, and then we'll look at some examples from the Bible wrapping up then with some encouragements along those same lines. And those will have to do with a thought of examples, how you read by faith, the Old Testament especially. And hopefully, prayerfully, that will be instructive and encouraging because it is important. So we begin with, first of all, with the fact that walking by faith is important. Four times in the Bible, we are told that the righteous man will walk by faith. The righteous person, saved people, walk by faith. All of us do. The first one is in Habakkuk 2.4. And as you'll remember, Habakkuk prayed to God, and he didn't get the answer he was expecting. But in 2.4, he says this, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. And then three times in the New Testament, that sentiment that command is echoed. Galatians 3.11, Paul says, and now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. And he quotes there Habakkuk. Following that, we see, not in the correct order biblically, but just because that's the way they came to me, Hebrews 10.38, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And of course, in the book of Acts, Abraham is used as an example of someone who doesn't shrink back. But it looks like, to me, humanly speaking, he does a couple of times shrink back. So we know that that's not absolute as far as single events. We also know that over a whole lifetime, a righteous man will not shrink back from what God has said. So the righteous man lives by faith in Hebrews 10.38 as well. And there again in Romans, Romans might be called Paul's magnum opus. It's incredible. And you've heard me say before, if you've listened for a while, that if a Christian had the book of Romans and had the gospel of John and had the book of Psalms, you would be, you could live and study just those three books and become a very mature Christian and know all the main doctrines that are there in scripture. We have obviously more than that, but That's how important the book of Romans is. And he says at the very onset of his book, when he's talking about his motive for writing the book of Romans, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So we see four times in the Bible, God tells us we live by faith. We're saved by faith. Paul will go on to make that case in Romans, in Galatians, in fact, every book, that it's not our deeds that save us, but it's faith 
and in that same faith we walk, listen to God, and obey God. Now, to get understanding, to get the full effect of the Bible, to get the full meaning of the Bible, we need to come to it by faith, believing what it says. There is very much in the Bible that goes against our nature. Because we are in the flesh, and the Bible speaks of spiritual things, and Paul talks about that in Corinthians. In fact, he says the gospel is foolishness to the people who don't believe, but to us who believe and who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it's the power of God and the salvation of God. Now, we looked at Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, in 17, 17 and 18, he says this, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Now, we're not going to go fully into that, but that's important. We know that the Old Testament is forever. And then it follows, I think, that if the law and the prophets and later Jesus, his own words, are to be fulfilled, that they are literally true. We've talked about that before. And then, as Jesus adds a little later in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. That means they're meaningful. So the Old Testament law and prophets are meaningful. And in Matthew 24, 35, we know that the words of Jesus are important and they're not going to pass away either. So we have the Bible, the Law and the Prophets, and the words of Jesus. He then says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and you have heard this before, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, acts upon them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And I just wanted to use that short quote, but you know the rest of it. The wise man builds his house on the rock, which is Jesus, on the words, the Old and New Testament, and the foolish man on sand, wisdom of the world. And then, of course, the disaster happens to the one who builds his house on the sand. So the word of God, Jesus' words, Old and New Testament, are to you and me. And we know they're not literally in the Old Testament, always exactly to us, but they are of the same import as the rest of the word of God. Now, the reason we need that faith first of all, is, and we'll talk about things that are hard to believe the next time, but the very first reason that we believe by faith what the Word of God says about itself is it's meant to be taken seriously. A quote I love from the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 32, 46-47, and I think I've mentioned this a time or two. Moses says, Deuteronomy 32, 46-47, and he said to them, that's Moses, of course, Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today, which you shall command to your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you, indeed it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross over the Jordan to possess. Now, of course, he's speaking those words to Israel in the midst of the law as they're getting ready to pass over the Jordan. That's what Deuteronomy means, the second reading of the law or the second telling of the law. But the principle is there for all of us. Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, 
even all the words of this law. So the principles are there, Old and New Testament. When Jesus says, my words won't pass away, and I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets, that's what he's speaking of. And the import of that is, it's not an idle word for you, for us. It is our life. And that's why we set the word of God as the measure and standard of our lives. Again, for Israel, that's prolonging their days in the land. For us, that's our motivation in the love of Christ to accomplish and do his word and his will. But it's not an idle word. It's meaningful to us. In John 5, 37 and 38, Jesus says this, And the Father who sent me, he has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent me, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent me. And that's an obviously warning, a warning to the unbelievers around him. But that's how important it is. If we believe Jesus, we have his words in us, and we obey them. We abide in his word because they are there. Again, they're not idle for us. They're the measure of our lives. And we know that to be the case because we know in John 15, the gospel of John 15, verse 7, Jesus says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. So even our prayers hinge on our faith whether we believe that God is there and answering. And we've talked about that before as well. And then in 1 John, he says this, the Apostle John says this, 1 John 2, 23 through 24, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So do you see how important that is, that we believe God's word, we take it by faith, and it becomes our measure. That's abiding in Jesus, abiding in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if God then, which he did, write to us, and we know he can't lie, Titus 1-2 tells us that, when we come to the scriptures, even if they're hard to believe or hard to understand, we know what we read is true. And like I said, and I mentioned before, there are some very difficult things that are hard for us to conceive of, impossible in our eyes. But faith lets us know the Word of God is truth and follow it as such. But even more than that, however, but even more than that, however, there is meaning for us personally, making every small mark, as Jesus said, in one way or another, a message that we can apply to ourselves. In the old King James, it's jot and tittle. But every even punctuation mark is not going to pass away, Jesus says. So, for instance, when we read in Ezekiel 18, 3 and 4, As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine, soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son is mine, the soul who sins will die. And he's talking about the proverb that comes before that, as in fathers paying for the sins of the Son and sons paying for the sins of the Father. That's not true. All souls are his. The Father is going to die of sins, and the Son is to die if they sin. 
Okay, that means you because your soul sins. So that verse is for us. We know we're sinners. That means we know we need a Savior. That means we come to Christ in salvation to get that. But that verse is there not just to be there and not just written to Israel, but it has import for us as well. And then Joel 2.32 reads this way, And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom Yahweh calls or whom the Lord calls. Now you might say, well, that's for a specific time that Joel's talking about and for Israel, but that truth and the import for us that brings us our hope that we can call on the name of the Lord too, we find in Romans 10:12. for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in the riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And he quotes that in Jeremiah. So again, the application is across the board. It was application for them and it's application for us. And we can be assured that as we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Does that make sense? We have the Old Testament. It's important. It's not going away. We have the New Testament. It's important. It's not going away. So even if the details in the Old Testament, much of them, are not directly written for us, their application is to us as well. And so we can take great encouragement and exhortation in that truth. And so again, just to draw that a little bit further, you know the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis, how they sinned. And then you can watch the unfolding of their lineage after that and how every one of those people are sinners. So again, application to us. We are born of them and we are born sinners. And then we see in in later in the book of Genesis, when Noah and his family are rescued, we can take heart because we know God rescues his people even in the midst of great disaster. And that causes us to rejoice as well. And he protects us. So the Old Testament applies to us. And I think I've mentioned this a couple of times in the life of the podcast. But even when I take on the process of mentoring or discipling another person, I begin with the life of Joseph. You remember his story. Prayerfully, you remember his story. And so I use his life for two main reasons. The first is we find in Genesis in Genesis 37 that he has dreams. He talks to his family, and then his family hates him. And he keeps on talking to them about his dreams. And his family hates him. And then you know that they sell him into slavery because of that. So that's fantastic. And we have the word of God as well. And Joseph believed those words from God wholeheartedly, or else he wouldn't have kept telling them to his brothers. I also think that that caused him a little bit of pride, but that's for another day. But he believed in those promises. He invested his soul in those promises. And then again, he was sold into slavery. And I always think of him in that dungeon, so far away from his family, so far away from those promises being fulfilled, what must his conversations to God with God have been like? There's no way in that dungeon that he could see him leading his whole family again. But he believed in those promises. And God had a plan in those promises and through those promises. By way of application for us today then, God keeps his promises. 
Whatever his plan is for our lives, for you right now, he is going to fulfill them in his timing. So it's great encouragement. And I start there because every Christian is going to be disciplined. That's Hebrews 12. And so every Christian needs to know how to see things in the big picture. And it's by looking in the life of Joseph at the big picture that we can take heart and encouragement. And the second reason I use Joseph in the process of discipling someone is his trials. Because we often think when we go into a trial, we think to ourselves, you may have thought this yourself. I know I have. What's the Lord going to teach me? What do I need to learn? Let me learn it really fast and get out of this trial. Well, in the life of Joseph, he goes into the trial and he goes deeper and deeper, step by step down into the trial. First, he thought he was going to to die. Then he thought he was going to get saved as they pulled him out. He had to be thinking that. And then he went into slavery, which has to be worse than death, I think, for us. Many of us would think that way. And then he gets sold to Potiphar. And he, he is faithful, but he runs into Potiphar's wife and her unfaithfulness. But still, he acts righteously, so he goes down another step. And then he ends in the dungeon, and then he is there forgotten for two years after he helped someone, encouraged them, and then asked for their help. So he goes down in his trial step by step, and you will find as you read the rest of Joseph's life that he comes out of his trial step by step. But what we can't say is, as soon as Joseph learned his lessons, then God let him out. It's not the way it happened. God had an appointed time to go into the trial, each step of the trial down, and then each step of the trial out. If you don't believe me, look in Genesis. And actually, I didn't look this up. It just came to me right now, but it's true. As you follow Joseph's life coming out of the trial, you can see his response when he gets a wife, when his first child is born, when his second child is born, how he is slowly coming out of the trial as well, and what those things mean as he's coming out of the trial. But the whole point of that is God had a purpose. All the promises he made to Joseph when Joseph was very young came to pass, but they didn't come to pass because Joseph was such a great guy or because he learned any lessons. They came to pass because God had a plan. And that's our favorite verse in Genesis 50, 20. I'm including verse 19 right now. Once his dad died and his brothers thought he was going to take revenge, they came to him and begged him not to. And you remember his response. Verse 19, But Joseph said to them, that's his brothers, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And so God has a plan, and he has those promises. And even when we are in the depths of despair or in a trial, he hasn't forgotten. He's going to carry out his plan. One of the other things that plagues us in in the process of this Christian life is we go on sinning. We know that after we're saved. And sometimes we get worried about that. And sometimes we may even ask the question, am I really a Christian if I think these thoughts or do these things? For that, we come to the life of David. And as we look at the life of David, we understand that all we bring in our salvation to God is a broken and contrite heart. We don't bring bring perfection, and we don't bring paying him back. We just 
bring our brokenness. And we don't continue in the Christian life and our perfect behavior. We watch David who sins time and time again, but God forgives time and time again. In fact, the only real difference between David and his predecessor Saul is that David repents and the heart of a true Christian repents. And as we bring in, bring that broken and contrite heart, the psalmist says in Psalm 51, thou will not despise. So we are encouraged, even when, as we struggle in sin, that we have a Savior that's forgiving. And remember, he tells us also in Isaiah 66, for my hand made all these things. Thus, all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. We have no way to pay him back. All we do is come contrite and humble, trembling at his word. And we'll talk about that the next time. But faith makes all the warnings and promises and the examples alive to us as individuals. Again, when we read Genesis 50:20, and as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. We know that's how he deals with his people. And when we read in Romans 8 that all things work together for good, that's exactly what it means. He deals with his people, past and present and will in the future, because he never changes in the exact same way. Even our deepest trials and failures are meant for and worked for from God's perspective, used for our good and his glory. And I cannot now know precisely how God is leading you, but he does tell us, both of us throughout scripture, to stop trying to pay him back. In our brokenness, we, we repent and believe and he leads us. Now, in this encouragement, prayerfully, it's been encouraging to you to walk by faith, to believe what God says about his word and you and him by faith. One of my favorite passages, I use this personally all the times in my life, especially the tough times. It comes in 1 Samuel 14, 14 through 13. And this time it's not about David, but it's about his best buddy, Jonathan. And they're at war, the Israelites are, with the Philistines again. And Jonathan and his armor bearer come across an impossible situation. There's Philistines across the way in what the Bible calls a sharp crag. So that's an an abrupt rise in the landscape where Jonathan and his armor bearer are. And on one side, that's where they are. And on the other, the Bible says it rose on the north opposite of Michmash, a place there in Israel. On the other side, the south side, opposite of that, Kiba, they were there patrolling along for the enemy. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. And this is the key for me, for my encouragement. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself and here I am according to your desire. So then they set up the exact opposite thing I would set up. They set up, they, uh, Jonathan says, in essence, listen, they're way up there and we're down here. If you know anything about warfare, that's not a good spot to be in. Jonathan didn't say that part. He just said, they're up there and we're down here. So 
let's get closer. And if they say, come up to us, then we'll know that the Lord has given them to us. That would have been the opposite thing I would have said. If they said to me, come up to us, I would have said, okay, let's go the other way because they obviously outnumber us. But that's what Jonathan sets up. If they say, if they invite us to come up, having to crawl upon our hands and knees and being vulnerable as we do, then we'll go up and we'll know that the Lord has given them to us. That's faith. And that's the kind of faith I would love to be able to emulate. I haven't yet, but I would love to be able to copy, to follow that sort of faith. And then if you know the story, they say to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up here and we want to show you something. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they wanted to show them the edge of the th- of their swords. But Jonathan and his armor bearer climbed up. They had to go up hands and feet. They couldn't just walk up. And then when they got to the top, they had victory over the Philistines. And again, even if you and I don't have enough faith to do that, we know from that story, as well as countless others throughout the Old Testament, that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has the power And we are, you and I, undefeatable. I'm not even sure if that's a word. But we are undefeatable until it's time to go home. And as we live through our circumstances and see impossible things happen, like, yeah, come on up here and we'll show you something. Yeah, your death is what they wanted to show him. God's glory becomes evident to us. And we see that he is going to take care of us. And in humility, which we will talk about next time, we are able to say with Paul, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Old Testament teaches that to us, the same way the New Testament does. And as we read those things, our faith increases. And we understand the verse before that in Romans 8. That was Romans 8, 38-39, just in case you didn't know. But we know 37 is true because of what we know in the Old Testament as well. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And even this just popped into my mind too, Jonathan was invincible until the time in God's plan when David was to take over the kingdom. And you and I are invincible and growing spiritually until the time God says it's time to come home. That's why we need to believe by faith what the Bible says, because it is true. And experience shows that. And I've told you before, but I'm going to mention it really quickly. A few years ago, if God said, okay, I have this plan for you. You're going to have pneumonia, a very bad flu, congestive heart failure, a heart attack, a stroke, and a bunch of other stuff mixed into that. How about that? How about Fred? How about we go through that together? I would have said, could we, could we please do something different? And yet, other than my season of raising my children, I'm in the best season of my Christian life. And having the faith to go through the darkness and the depression that I went through for those many years, It was only because I could read the Old Testament and New Testament and say, this is what God's doing. I don't understand it now, but I know this is what he's doing. As you read your Bibles, apply them appropriately. Apply the grand principles. You can rely on them 
in very specifics, like when he said to Jonathan, come up here, or when he says to you, maybe move to this new city, and then in the broad principles as well, because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that means you, not somebody else. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this beautiful day. My soul cries out, Father, I need thee. More than ever in my life, I understand how much I do need thee and have needed thee. Take your word and make it make sense. Holy God, lead your children to believe you and to read the word of God by faith and to apply it by faith and to understand that you are working all the time for your glory and our good. Call back all your children who need that prodigal call, who know and understand, make them know and understand that they are eating up pig food when they could be enjoying the delicacies of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Help us to take your word seriously, to believe it by faith, even everything that we cannot prove. Help us to know that in the end we will see your truth, its perfection, and the foolishness of the world. We bow before you, humbling our hearts, praying, teach us what we need to know today. To the glory of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray, for it is glorious and it is our salvation. Thank you, Jesus. We glory in you, and we pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you guys for listening. Enjoy the songs before and after, and next time we will look at reading the Bible with humility. Thank you, Jesus. Now, our benediction for the day. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Brethren, let's pray for one another. your baby boy would one day walk on water. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy would come to make you new? This child that you delivered was soon delivering you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to the blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, Kiss the face of God Mary, did you know
know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy was heaven's perfect lamb? And that sleeping child you're holding is the great Thank you for listening. We look forward to hearing from you at www.frponprayer.com or freerangeprayer at gmail.com. And for all your voiceover needs, go to richarddurrington.com or durringtonr at gmail.com. Keep your dial here for our next episode. And if you have a dial, you just might need an upgrade. For Fred and I, have yourself a prayerfully fun-filled day.